We are in, hey, the shortest chapter of Leviticus, guys. This is easy peasy. Leviticus 12, open up to that. We only have eight verses tonight. So this will be like the quickest, easiest sermon in Leviticus ever. Uh, it's a little awkward, though. Just a little precursor. We're getting into the awkward section of Leviticus. It's going to be good, guys. Um, Leviticus chapter 12. We'll read the first eight verses out of the ESV version. And then we will pray and get into it. All right. It says this. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation. And she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priests at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. The word of God. Let's pray real quick. Jesus, thank you for this night. God, I'm just honestly in awe that, um, Jesus, you would draw us. You would draw us to give our Friday nights to be with you. Honestly, Jesus, it's just like you must be real if we're going to be here on a Friday night and listen to your word from Leviticus and sing forever, God. It's, it, you have to be real. And so we just say thank you, Lord. Thank you for this place. Thank you that this is of you. Thank you that this is all about Jesus. This is about the name of Jesus, not any other church or person. Thank you that Leviticus is about Jesus and our worship is about Jesus. And we, uh, we just wanna sit at your feet right now, Jesus, and learn from you. So help us, God, prepare our minds to understand what it is that you wanna say to us tonight through Leviticus chapter 12. We love you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, so yeah, like I said, we're in the awkward section. Uh, we have child, we just got childbirth. We just got circumcision. Uh, we're about to get pus and skin diseases for two chapters. Um, we're going to get other bodily discharges, like all of them. Any discharge a body has, God's going to talk about it. Um, what is God doing right here? And I, I think it's cool just to state right off the bat, like God is apparently not embarrassed or ashamed of our humanity. Just think about that. He's not embarrassed. God doesn't get embarrassed. God said these words. And, and listen, who made the body? God did, right? He made the body. He made all the orifices and the discharges that come out of our bodies. And he said it was good. Okay, God made it. And he said it was good. Your body is made by God. And he said, that is good. And, and trip out on this. God himself left heaven and took on a human body himself 
and dealt with all of the things that we deal with in our human bodies. Just let your imagination run wild. God did that. God did that. And did you know that for eternity, you will be in flesh? You will be in a body. We forget about that. We say heaven. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be in heaven forever. You're not going to be in heaven forever. You're going to be on a new earth in a new physical body. Just trip out. We will be in bodies forever. Your body is good and made by God. And so God's going to just start getting into what it is to be human for the next five chapters. Now, uh, you may have had a couple questions right off the bat. I did when I read this, if you're kind of paying half attention. And maybe one question is this. Okay, what was the deal with uh, females having to be cleansed twice as long? Do you guys notice that? If you had a male, she's only unclean seven days and then 33, which is a month, uh, 40 days. If you had a female, she's unclean for two weeks and then 66 days. What's going on there? Um, well, to be honest, I just wanted to bring that up because you may have noticed that. The Bible doesn't tell us why that is. Uh, it's, been, it's fun to read commentaries and look at all throughout church history, the ideas people come up with of why women would, having a daughter would make her twice as unclean. Um, some say in ancient times, they used to think if you had a daughter, it was like medically more traumatizing. That's just what we think they thought back then. Uh, some point out the boy was circumcised on the eighth day. So it was like her time got cut short for only seven days instead of 14 days. And since she had to bring the boy in to be circumcised, like an exception was made. Um, some, you're naturally going to have chauvinistic guys like, oh yeah, because women are like twice as impure. And so it's going to take twice as long. Um, but a cool sub point to that, if that were the case, what, what the value of something, the more value, the more potential it has for making it impure. So if that's the case, then it's just saying, hey, women are twice as valuable. So maybe that's the case. Who knows? We don't know. Um, but honestly, none of that is biblically proven. We don't know. It's just what God said. It's just one of those like, okay, God, cool. Um, but there is something we can learn from this. And this is extremely profound and extremely uh, countercultural. There is a difference between a male and a female. There's a difference. Biblically, they are treated differently. If you're a female, this is the case. If you have a male, this is the case. There's actually a difference. It kind of seems absurd that I would have to say that, but we're living in a world where that is not taught. That is not true. Uh, in the Bible, we see God made male and female. In the image of God, he created them. We see male and female were created at different times, were created in different ways. Man was made from the dust. Eve was made from his rib. Even if you say, yeah, but that's just a poem, they were still different. It was still from something, there's something different going on. And we see in many places throughout scripture that God uh, treats and talks to men and women differently. And listen, that's good. It's beautiful. When God made something, he says that is good. It is good for boys to be boys and men to be men and good for women to be women. God came up with men and women and he made them differently. Um, you may not believe that, and that's okay. Our culture doesn't believe that. You're welcome here, and we love you, um, and you're loved by God. But I would just say, it would, you'd be hard-pressed to show me where in the Bible it says there's, there's not a difference, because start to finish, we're just treated differently. And, and the word uh, many use that I love is they, men and women complement each other, like a nice right and a left hand. We need each other. And I believe that is true and part of how God made us. So there it is. Male and female are different. Uh, just cool, fun little side note on Leviticus 12. Oh, and if you have questions about that, I actually love talking about that. Um, I would love to talk to you about that. Email me, come talk to me, 
come disagree with me. I honestly, I love that. I really do, and I would love to talk to you about that, um, more about what the Bible says about men and women. But we can see from Leviticus 12, they're different. Uh, second question you may have noticed, okay, why is the woman unclean? Didn't she do what God told women to do and have a baby be fruitful and multiply? So she goes and has a baby, and now God's like, now you're unclean. Now you have to make sacrifices, and you're dirty. Like, what? Maybe you've noticed that. Why? Like, what did she do wrong? Why does she need to bring a burnt offering and a sin offering after she just obeyed God? Um, And I just want to, this is probably obvious, but it was not sin. God is not saying in Leviticus 12, it's sin for a woman to have a baby. It's not what he's saying. In Leviticus, when he talks about unclean and clean, those terms are referring to like ritual ceremonial purity. So uh, you couldn't go into the tabernacle if you were ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. Doesn't mean you are sinful. Like, let's say you touch, let's say you're walking and something dead falls out of the sky, hits you in the head. You're unclean. You got to go do something before you can go and worship God. You didn't sin. You just are ceremonially unclean. And that's the same thing with childbirth. And this is why the only, this is a little PG-13, but the only blood allowed in the tabernacle and later the temple was the blood of a sacrifice. That's it. That's the only blood that's allowed. Any other kind of blood, if any other person is bleeding in any way for any reason, you are unclean. Blood was like, it was sacred. The Bible says life was in the blood. And so the woman, because she just had a traumatic experience, is bleeding. Apparently, I don't know really the science between having, uh, about having a baby, but I would imagine there's some healing happening. And she is unclean for a certain amount of time until, she can, until the blood stops and she can then cleanse herself and bring some offering. So this is in no way sin. This is in no way the woman is in sin, but she is just healing. Her body is healing. So that brings us to the, the, like, there's three major truths that we can pull from Leviticus 12. And the first one's related to that. And it's this, Jesus brings hope for an unclean and broken body. Jesus brings hope for an unclean and broken body. You, uh, if you've heard any other sermon from me in Leviticus, you will see that every chapter, every detail of, Levit- of Leviticus is a pointer to Jesus and is fulfilled in Jesus. And it, it was a stretch sitting here looking at Leviticus 12, like how is this about Jesus? Uh, but it is. And, and the, this is a signpost to the fact that our bodies are broken. Our, though our bodies were made good and, and in the image of God, our bodies are now, because of the fall, we're broken. We die. Do you know we weren't designed to die? We had to be cursed to die. That, that's not normal. That's not how God made your body. And, and we will one day, these bodies will decay and die. And then if you're a Christian, you're going to get a resurrected body And in some way, it's going to look like your body now. And you will have this body forever. But but we know that, okay, our bodies are broken. And this chapter is pointing to the fact that your bodies are broken. If you even remember childbirth, I don't know exactly how it was supposed to be, but it was cursed in the fall. Childbirth was cursed and it was more painful and it wasn't supposed to be that way. Uh, Maybe we're, I mean, we're kind of young, but like we may have, issues with our bodies. I have asthma. And there are literally times in my life where I'm like, I'm done. I'm going to die any minute. That's happened like 10 times in my life. Honestly, can't breathe. I'm done. 
uh, if any of you have asthma, like it's actually pretty gnarly and dangerous. It sucks. I have to, there's a, if there's a wildfire, I'm like, honestly, I'm out for like a week. I have to have my inhaler near death. My first time I camped, I almost literally died. And I don't know, I, I, I'm okay now, but I almost died. Um, we have broken bodies. We have issues with our bodies. I rolled my ankle like six months ago and it's still stiff. Like what is going, I'm already like that when you get up and you're stiff, like old people. Um, but it's a little heavier too. Like I have a really good friend I grew up with. Uh, grew up, knew him from, random fact, I remember he's a year younger than me, but he could ride his bike before me. So I was that young, like, oh, he's riding his bike first. Uh, I grew up with him and we were, I was a senior in high school. He was, no, I just graduated high school. He was about to be a senior. We were down in Huntington Beach and he dove in the ocean, broke his neck and he's a quadriplegic now for life. One of like, friend I know really, really well. Um, our bodies are broken. Our bodies break. They're very fragile. Uh, many of us know people who died at a time when like they shouldn't have died. We're like, that's not right. That wasn't supposed to happen. Why did they die? Um, part of our broken bodies is our broken minds. I think this is something that we begin to really experience uh, in high school and in college, like things like depression, things like anxiety, things like mental illness and suicide, like that's brokenness in our minds, in our bodies. And um, so we're broken. And this chapter is just like, yeah, that, that happens. Our bodies are broken. And because God is so good and gracious, he's like, I want to I wanna make a way, even in Leviticus 12, for a woman who just survived bearing a child, I want to make a way for her to be clean. And I want it to be a little signpost to the fact that I'm going to restore these broken bodies. And, and this is actually this, this picture of restoration and being made clean. It's a really clear picture to Jesus. Jesus came as a baby. He was born, physically born from a woman. And yet he was born conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so he came and in some sense, when he died, when he rose again, he was the first fruit of the new creation. So when Jesus came back to life, his body was the first time we see something that was physically recreated that will not decay. And Jesus walked around for 40 days in his new body, eating fish. Sometimes people recognize him. Sometimes they didn't. Sometimes he's walking through walls. Sometimes he's not. Um, but Jesus came and showed us, hey, look, I'm making things new. Look at me. Feel my scars, but I'm new. And so this is really profound, you guys. Jesus doesn't just, he didn't just come to, to forgive our sins, which he did. He came to redeem creation and to redeem your broken body. He came to redeem your broken body. And there's a couple things we can get from this. Uh, this is why sin against a human body really matters to God. This is why like the, the human body is, is pretty much the crown jewel of God's creation, technically the woman's body. Uh, that was the last thing he made. But a human body is of extreme value to God. And your body is extremely valuable. Like it's, it's this thing you actually kind of possess, you steward, and it's extremely valuable. This is why like, like self-harm or abuse of food or substances is like really, really, it's really destructive and, and bad 
because you're, you're like, you're sinning against something that's really precious. Uh, and honestly, like, if, if you're in that right now, like, if you're in a pattern of that, Jesus wants to make that right. He honestly wants to expose that, to bring it out in the open. Like, honestly, this is a safe place. If you have secrets about your body, Jesus literally wants to make that right right now. He at least wants to begin that process of making that right. This is why sexual sin is particularly destructive because your body has dignity and was designed for one partner for life. And this is why when we just throw our bodies around, like we're using our body in a way it was not designed for. And it's going to wreak havoc on that relationship and future relationships. This is why, you guys, this is why pornography is so destructive because it's exploiting the human body. It's like, that is heavy. That's why slavery is so horrible because it's exploiting the human body. This is why social justice matters because our bodies, I mean, something as simple as that body doesn't have the right nutrition, that like, that actually really matters to God. It really matters that someone somewhere right now doesn't have what they need. This is, this is, uh, and, but, but here's the thing, because our generation, we're like down with social justice, uh, we can't be hypocrites. If we're going to value the human body over here, you need to value your human body here in how you live, eat, and honestly, your sexuality. Like, let's, let's be consistent with valuing the human bodies. Yes, social justice matters, and so does your body. So let's, let's like, your body, bodies matter, and they really matter to God. So that's the first point. Jesus is saying, okay, things are broken, and it's hard, and there's uncleanness physically, and I came to make it right. But... The second significant thing we can learn from this chapter is this. Jesus is hope for our physical body, but he's also hope for our spiritual broken soul. For our spiritual broken soul. Okay, if you were here last week, chapter 11 was about clean and unclean animals. And here's the big picture. There are things out there in the world that if you touch or eat, you become unclean. It's out there in the world. Chapter 12 is about things inside of you that make you unclean. It's, it's different, okay? Chapter 11 is like, hey, things out in the world, it's bad. The world is bad. Be careful. It's unclean. Chapter 12 brings it home. Like, your own body is broken, and there's something wrong in your own body. The woman didn't do anything wrong, but she was broken and suffered consequences. Your own soul that you cannot escape from is broken, brokenness and uncleanness actually comes, yes, from without, but it comes from within. Your brokenness comes from within. Uh, If we're honest, there's probably certain moments in our life, this has happened to me many times, where we like surprise ourselves at what we say or what we do. You get us like in the wrong situation at the wrong time and like something happens and you're like, wow, that just came out of me. And we want to be like, no, no, that wasn't me. That was just the extreme situation. But like, it's really sobering. I've had those moments where you're like almost in shock. Like, I just said that or did that or thought that. If like, I won't, okay. If there are times where I'm like, if I had a gun, things could be really bad. Like driving, honestly. If I had a gun, I would like, I don't trust myself with a gun. Even though today I'm talking to my wife about getting a gun. Dang it. Um, Sanctification, I'm growing. I'll get there. Um, yeah, so honestly, side note about marriage, that's, that's a truth, that's kind of a brutal truth about marriage is you find this person who you love, but at the wrong moment, that person will bring stuff out of you that you're like, 
And part of you wants to be like, see, you made me do that. But they didn't, they just, your spouse all in the future will just expose what's in you. And the same with relationships, it's the same with friendships. Whenever someone makes you feel something, all they're doing is just like, whatever, a tri- like they're triggering something that's already in you. When we interact and we get frustrated, things from within our soul and our heart, our broken heart, come to the surface and we are exposed. Um, if you remember at the very beginning with Adam and Eve, they sinned, right? We know that they sinned. But it was, this is crazy. The first birth that happened in the Bible also transfers the brokenness. And this is some, this is crazy, but the brokenness was transferred through childbirth. And the first baby ever born, the first baby ever born was born in sin. Not only is the mother ritually unclean, that baby is born spiritually unclean. Like that's a tragedy and it's true. Um, If you're a Christian, there's actually two parts of you, two parts. There's one side that is redeemed and renewed and it's a son of God and it's a daughter of God and God looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Christ and he accepts you and he loves you and you have a new heart and a new nature. And you have this other thing in you called the flesh and it remains. And that thing that we have is what we were born with. It's the original sin that was passed on in broken humanity. It remains in us until we die. And now like there's this, there's two parts of you. And if, if you're not a Christian, there's one part of you and it's the broken part. And, and we're inherently broken. David said, from the time I was conceived, not like born wicked, like my two cell, whatever in my mother's womb was conceived in iniquity. Job 14.4 says, who can bring what is pure from the impure? No one. Listen, you have broken parents, you're gonna come out broken. Job 25 says, how can a man be just with God? Or how can he be clean who is born of a woman? The inherent, like what he's saying there is you can't. If you are human, if you were born of a woman, you are unclean. Romans 5.12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. In case you don't like the idea of original sin, you're gonna die, and that's because of the broken nature that came from Adam and Eve. You didn't rebel against God like he did, but you still die. Death came from Adam, and it spread to all of us. And one more, Romans 3, 9 through 12, says we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Honestly, that word is heavy, worthless. Uh, This pastor, his name's John Owen, he was like 400 years ago. He said this, however strong a castle may be, If a treacherous party resides inside, ready to betray at the first opportunity possible, the castle cannot be safe from the enemy. How crazy is that? I don't care how strong your castle is, there's someone wicked inside. On the inside of the castle, you're not safe. And his point is this, we have a traitor living inside of us right now, wanting to betray us, wanting to rebel against God. That's 
in every single one of us right now. Uh, this, this is the doctrine of original sin. If you, uh, total depravity is another word. It's not popular, obviously. Um, I used to theoretically believe it, but like in my heart, I didn't believe it because I honestly, you guys, thought I was awesome. I thought I could like overcome my traitor inside. This is, I'll let you in a little bit, but in college, I, I went and did a lot of Christian things and I honestly thought I was a better human on the inside because I did more Christian stuff than other people. And listen, I actually had to hear the Holy Spirit tell me, hey, that is called pride, and, and actually that one's worse. So I would come back from serving the world on a Friday night after college group and then just giving all away all my stuff, and I'd come back and like, I'd see guys like watching TV, and I would just look at them like, you guys are so wicked and selfish, and just walk up to my room. And God was like, hey, what you just did is far worse than them watching TV. And, and it, was a, it was a brutal process But I eventually had to hear God tell me, hey, you are broken. And there's nothing you can do to make yourself better on your own. I had to to hear God tell me, you have become worthless. You are not righteous. And um, humans tend to be either like proud or like self-effacing. Some of us tend to be like religious because we're kind of better at it. Some of us are like, honestly, I'm over that. I just suck. I'm not going to try. More of the religious people in here need to hear, you cannot make yourself right with God. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation, to earn God's love, to be better. You are broken. You cannot fix yourself. Paul said of himself, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. And just want to ask you, are you willing to say that? Nothing good dwells in me. That is my flesh. It's honestly uh, like a huge challenge to most worldviews of humanity, which says, hey, we're basically good. Yeah, we have our bad moments. Yes, if you get me in the wrong situation at the wrong time, like I may do the wrong thing, but I'm basically good. And so there, there's a word for that. It's called humanism. And they, they, here's the perspective. Because humans are basically good, all you need to do is educate them and give them the right tools and resources and humanity will flourish. It's this view that like humans started here, good, but because we're good, we can make ourselves better and better and better and better. And over time, Humans, like, we continue to evolve morally and socially, and we're, gonna ar- we're arriving. The, the 20th century, we're better than they were in the 19th century. And this next century, we're, like, we're good, and we're growing on our own, and we're going to arrive, and we're, like, we're essentially evolving. Um, all you need is the right education and tools and technology. Sadly, the last century we just had was, hands down, by every way you measure it, the worst century of human history. Literally, in, in percentage of death, in the amount of, like, the ideas of progress were put to shame, like, World War I. And we're like, okay, yeah, that was a bummer, but, like, let's pull our act together. World War II. Okay, yeah, let's pull it together. As we're, and you guys, governments killed hundreds of millions of their own people in this last century. And to say, hey, all we need is a little technology and tools. All that technology has done for us is given us more opportunity to do more evil. We have honestly wreaked more evil and destruction this last hundred years than ever. People say it's the bloodiest century. Um, 
It's because humans are not basically good. We actually got to see what happens when humans progress. We kill each other and we hate each other. We like humans are not basically good. We're not. Um, that was the huge idea, if you're a history person, of communism. Like, hey, humans are basically good. Give them the resources and the food they need, and we will flourish. And that idea fell apart. Uh, here's another implication of original sin, is he, all of us need to be able to say, I need help. I am not strong enough for myself to do what I need to do. Left to myself, I will make a mess of my life and a mess of my relationships, and a mess of my future and opportunities. I have to be willing to say, I cannot save myself. I do not have what it takes. To follow Jesus, you have to be willing to say, I do not have what it takes. I do not have what it takes. Honestly, that was like a nightmare for how our parents were told to raise us, right? Like we were not told these things. We were told we are awesome and can do anything we want to do. And if you only work hard enough, we can achieve whatever we want. As a Christian, I have to say, I can't, I can't pull it off. I don't have what it takes. I cannot save myself. And yet even this heavy truth, you guys, this one points to Jesus also. If you, uh, this is cool, flip Put your finger here. Flip to Genesis chapter 3 really quick. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So God right here, we just messed everything up. God's having a hard conversation like a dad does after his kids do something wrong. He just curses the serpent, Satan. Now he's moving on to the woman. And in the curse... In the curse, we're going to read it, verse 15. You may not see it right away, but let's read it. He's talking to Satan and to Eve. I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, do you know what's going on here? This is awesome. The first, like the fall, when things are at their worst, God is saying, hey, I'm going to redeem humanity through the broken offspring that this woman will have. There will come an offspring who will crush the serpent. Yeah, Satan's going to like get his heel. He's going to strike a blow. But, but Eve's offspring will once and for all destroy Satan and will make things right spiritually. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus from the curse, from the beginning, God is like, I'm going to make this right with my son. And I'm going to do it through the woman, through childbirth. Uh, there's this crazy, actually flip back to Leviticus. There's this crazy verse in the New Testament that says women are cha- uh, saved through childbearing. It's just in there. It just says that. You're like, what does that mean? I thought we're saved by the blood of Jesus. You are. So it's like, hey, what does that mean? Uh, do you know what people think that verse is talking about? It's talking about it was through childbirth that God brought Jesus into the world. And every time a woman has a child, it's like, it's, it's like it goes in the face of Satan saying, hey, you did not win. Every time a baby is born, Satan is like, he gets to celebrate about death. Death was a result of the fall. It's like every time a baby's born, God is saying, hey, there's life right there. I, death didn't just win. I just brought about life. And through one of her offspring, I will make all things right. 
That's kind of cool. If you're a woman, like that's, that's cool. Um, I like that. So, so God is, is through childbirth symbolically saying, I will make everything right. Not just the physical realm. I will make spiritually dead people alive again. And do you know what one of the metaphors the Bible uses for salvation? Birth. Did you know that? Yes, you did know that. New birth. When you become a Christian, you are born again. And when Jesus is explaining it, the guy's like, so does he crawl up into his mother's womb? What are you saying? And Jesus is like, honestly, like, you, you don't understand this. Um, but here's the point. Salvation is like birth because, number one, how much control did you have over your birth? None. You were passive. It happened to you. You didn't have an option. You were simply born. You, like you are born, listen, you have to be saved. You have to be saved passively. You don't go save yourself. You don't grab a life raft that all the other idiots didn't grab. Like you had to be saved. It had to happen to you. Spiritually born again. I'm going to read um, nine verses out of one of the heaviest, most beautiful chapters in the Bible. It's out of Ezekiel 16. This is a picture of our salvation, you guys, and it's incredible and sad and awesome. Uh, I'll read it. Ezekiel 16, one through nine. God is talking to Israel and he's saying, this is what it was like when I found you. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut. Nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field. You were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. Your salvation is like that. We were brought into the world like a spiritually, like a baby left for dead. Not even the umbilical cord cut, not washed. You're, we were literally spiritually wallowing in our filth. That's a picture of every one of us. We are born spiritually that way. And a baby is not gonna figure it out. Baby is helpless. And a baby needed someone to come and have compassion on it. And if you are Christian, God saw you in your blood and had compassion on you and came to you and washed you and dressed you and said, you are mine. And then Ezekiel 16 goes on to say, we would grow and he would become our husband. Like in the metaphor, obviously, if you're a guy, you're like, what? He, he's like, I, I will take you in and I will clothe you and I'll provide riches for you. God is saying that is what it's like when you are saved. And, and if you're a Christian, just hear what, how desperate your situation was. And if you don't know Jesus, that's your situation right now. I cannot help myself. That's the second point. Jesus brings hope for the, the spiritually broken. 
And the third point from this, from this text is this. Jesus is hope for the barren. Jesus is hope for the barren. Barrenness means you can't have a baby. Um, one of the most common, like, struggles of characters in the Bible was they could not have a baby. That was, that was just like, at that culture especially, your identity and your worth as a woman was, am I able to produce this for my family, for my husband? And if a woman wasn't, often she was literally like, I'm getting another wife. She maybe wasn't even kept. And if you're, if you're a man, like that, that child is your name. And even in ancient cultures, like you, the way eternal life happened was by keeping your name alive. Do you know what? You may die, but your name is going to be renowned and it's going to survive. And so in the Bible, we see story after story. Honestly, it's incredible. I wish I listed them. The actual drama of a family where they could not have a baby. And like the agony that brought to a woman and to a man, we cannot have a baby. And, and we see God sometimes supernaturally intervene and, and do something special with that child. But, but here's the thing. The barren, barrenness in that time was probably one's greatest fear. What if I cannot have a baby? What if I cannot get that thing that is most important? What if I can't get the thing that promises joy and satisfaction and my identity and my worth? What if I can't get that? And you know what? We have that same fear in our hearts right now. What if I never get that? It may be a child. It may be marriage. It may be finding the job, whatever that job is, that purpose in life, that identity. And honestly, we feel that fear. What if it never happens? What if, what if I, my life is wasted? That's in us. That's in me. I can feel it when I say it, when I talk about it right now. You know, what's awesome is, um, so every month, every second Tuesday, uh, we have a prayer meeting for Abide. And so we were praying this last Tuesday. Um, I didn't see this point in the text. And someone who was there had like a prophetic word for Abide, which is cool. That's awesome when that happens. And, and it, it was this verse. I'm going to read it to you. It's from Isaiah 54, 1 to 5. God supernaturally was like, hey, I want them to hear this on Friday. That's cool. Here we go. Isaiah 54, 1 through 5 says this. Sing, O barren one, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen the, your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth. And the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called.
And what if you never get married and never have children and you never find that job? And the Bible's full of people like that, devastated people. And, and we fear that and we feel that. Listen, God has promised you something. And he has promised you something better than children and a marriage and a dream job. He's promised you something better than anything this earth can offer. If you remember the prophecy, for unto us a child is born. His name is Jesus. God brought another child into the world and he promises you more joy and more satisfaction and more purpose and more worth and more of an identity than anything else in life. It's actually logical. Anything you get in life can be taken from you in an instant, anything. And even if you get it, all of a sudden your fear turns to what if I lose it? What if I lose it? Oh my gosh, I got the job, but like, what if I lose it? It doesn't go away. Jesus comes and says, I am better. And I satisfy you more than any other of your deepest desires. And, and I love this. It says, sing, O barren one, who did not bear. Do you, honestly, do you feel barren? Do you fear being barren? Listen, if you find Jesus, you can sing. You can sing in the middle of your barrenness. It says, fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth. Do you, do you feel shame right now of your youth, of your past? Do you feel disgrace? Like you didn't live up to what your family or, or whoever it is you want to impress. Do you feel that shame and disgrace? God's like, hey, fear not. Don't be ashamed. You will not be disgraced. You're going to forget that shame because of me. It says the reproach of your widowhood will be remembered no more for your maker is your husband. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. Listen, if you find Jesus, you are not barren. You are not a widow. You are not childless. You are not purposeless. You have a better companion. You have a redeemer. His name is Jesus. And he is real and he actually satisfies you. Um, maybe you guys know a little bit of my story. I forget how much I share. but So I graduated college uh, in 2011. And I had a plan. I was going to go to grad school and it's going to be good. And I was going to just succeed in life after grad school. I knew it was grad school. And um, long story short, the Lord said no to that plan. And supernaturally, during a church service, just said no in our hearts. Uh, and long, longer story short, I ended up working at Starbucks with my college degree instead of being in grad school. And I legitimately hated my life. I actually, I can smile about it now, but I actually hated a year of my life I woke up every day and felt barren and embarrassed and ashamed. And I would actually put on my apron and it was the apron of shame. And I would walk out and the president of my college, who I knew personally, I served him coffee and I just felt shame. I felt 
utterly ashamed. When people ask me, what are you doing with your life? I, I honestly didn't have an answer. And I tried to, oh, well, I'm volunteering at this church where it's like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like it was not, there's no way to redeem it. It was just shame and embarrassment. And honestly, it took a year. It took a year of a beating for Jesus to begin to slowly teach my heart, hey, you have me. You are not barren. If you spend the rest of your life serving coffee, you are okay because of me. Not like it'll get better because honestly, I was so depressed. I honestly was like, that's not getting better. This is it. This is my life. I will be here forever. And Jesus told me, hey, if that happens, you're okay. If you never leave State in Victoria Starbucks ever and have to walk 12 minutes to your car for a break and back, which you can't even do because I had 10 minutes. If that was my life, if that was my life, I am okay. I am not barren. I have Jesus. If my life doesn't go the way I've dreamed, do you know what? My life is a vapor. All of a sudden, like verses like that was like, good news. Oh, wait, this is a vapor. I have Jesus forever. This is a vapor. If I never make the money I want or get the house I want or job I want or recognition I want, this is like a vapor. And I will be with Jesus forever. And I can actually, and this began to happen, I actually could wake up and be with Jesus by reading my Bible. It's a crazy thought. I did it and it satisfied my soul, even a little bit. I'll be honest, not every day. Sometimes I'm like, I, why am I reading this? But sometimes as I read this book and I read it, I hadn't read it through until I was in that season of my life and I just needed it. I would wake up depressed, that feeling of I don't want to get out of bed. And it was 3.30 in the morning and, I, and it's dark and I went to bed at seven in the summertime and it was sunny and I'm just hating my life. I would open this book and something would actually happen to my soul. Something would actually say to me, like, you're okay, and I love you, and I'm with you, and, and you don't go with no purpose. I've called you to this for a reason, and I'm shaping you, and I'm forming you, and I'm sovereign, by the way. This isn't an accident. I planned this before you were born. That one was, like, hard, but, like, Okay, like the truths of the Bible became beautiful and and helped me and satisfied my soul. And this is really cool, you guys, through being in community and having pastors and mentors and honestly, me just being honest and vulnerable, I began to turn a corner of like, I'm actually okay. I can actually get up and I still have purpose and I still have identity and I still have worth. And, and I, I get to have a job. I get to live here. And I get to be growing as a man of God. And I have Jesus. And then, side note, I just sucked at my job because I hated it. God was like, hey, do you know how you get other things in life? It's called faithfulness. And you are, being, you are not being faithful. So maybe be a good barista. I hated that. But finally, I was like, do you know what? I'm going to be the freaking best barista there has ever been. And I went into like, I'm a I went barista mode, you guys, and I was honestly, I was awesome. I could just make drinks in my sleep, just 
just busting them out. It was so satisfying. And I actually found joy in this menial job because I had Jesus and I was being faithful and I was walking with him. You guys, this, this text shows us, yes, Jesus is going to make everything better physically. He's making things better spiritually. And if everything goes wrong, we are not barren because of Jesus. And so right now, we have an opportunity to be with that Jesus who satisfies our soul. You have an opportunity right now to spend time with the body of Christ seeking Jesus singing to him, sing, O barren one. There's something about singing that just, it does something to our soul. We were created to sing to Jesus. We have carpets to actually fall on your face. If you remember Hannah in the Bible who couldn't have a Bible, she came and she fell on her face in the temple and she was crying and praying so hard that the guy, the priest thought she was drunk, okay? Have you ever worshiped like that? Honestly, like they are drunk. That's in the Bible. That's honestly in the Bible. You guys, like we read in Luke, this woman poured out everything she had to be with Jesus. She wept because she knew her sin and yet Jesus could make her clean again. If you have nothing else to sing, sing about that. That you were in your filth and Jesus says, I am, you are mine now and you are clean and I love you. That is more than enough to sing for eternity. So let's do that right now. Let's, let's sing. The band can cruise up. Um, because we have, we have an incredible God. This, this chapter, last point, tiny baby point, uh, it says that if the, if the family is too poor they, and they can't even bring a lamb, they can bring two turtle doves. Do you know that shows up when Jesus is born? Did you know Jesus chose out of all the families of the earth, I want to choose a poor family. And when Mary and Joseph had Jesus, all they had to offer were two turtle doves. That means they were extremely poor. And Jesus was willing to humble himself to that level for us to be saved and rescued from our sin, you guys. That's who our God is. God was willing to leave heaven to save us. Are we willing right now to like maybe leave our seat and worship him? To maybe like, bow our knee or raise our hand or take communion? Are you willing to humble yourself to the point of like, hey, I need to confess something. I need to get this out of the darkness. I need to go to the prayer team on the right or the left, and I'm gonna gonna expose and humble myself like, hey, I'm struggling with this. Are we willing to humble ourselves for even that? Because Jesus is worth it. He is so good. He will satisfy you more than anything. Maybe a process it may take years, but I promise you he's better. So let's worship him right now.